Welcome to the Father Jim Willig Gospel Teachings Podcast, presented by Heart to Heart, a Catholic media ministry. Father Jim was a well-known and much-loved diocesan priest from Cincinnati, Ohio. Inspired by God's Word, for many years, Father Jim presented a weekly Bible study on the Sunday Gospels. In 2001, Father Jim went home to the Lord after a battle with cancer, but his recordings and teachings live on to inspire thousands. First, we hear from Father Jim's good friend, Jesuit priest, Father Michael Sparrow, who opens this podcast by proclaiming the gospel reading. Then, Father Jim's illuminating gospel teaching follows. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. The rulers sneered at Jesus and said, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the chosen one, the Christ of God. Even the soldiers jeered at him. As they approached to offer him wine, they called out, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself! Above him there was an inscription that read, This is the king of the Jews. Now one of the criminals hanging there reviled Jesus, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us! The other, however, rebuking him, said in reply, Have you no fear of God? For you are subject to the same condemnation. And indeed, we have been condemned justly. For the sentence we received corresponds to our crimes. But this man, this man has done nothing criminal. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said to him, Amen. I say to you, Today, you will be with me in paradise. The Gospel of the Lord. Less than an hour ago, I was praying with a family whose son is dying of cancer. It was so gripping to be there with the parents who are so filled with sorrow and have so many questions of God. The mother asked me, why would God take my son as young as he is with two young daughters and doing all the good work that he's doing as a parole officer, why would God take my son? And the father asked the question, and why would God not hear my prayer? I've been going to church every day now for more than a year, and still nothing has come of this prayer. 
Of course, I knew enough not to try to answer in a trite way. You know how all those pious platitudes we sometimes hang on to don't really help much in a time like this. And I just had to say to them, I don't know why. And I doubt that we'll ever know why. But I do know there is one man who does understand exactly what you're feeling and experiencing, and that is Jesus. He went through everything your son's going through, and at the time, the prime of his life, he came to a tragic end in death. And he had prayed his heart out the night before, God, let this pass, let this cup pass from me. And he never got the answer he wanted. I don't know why, but let us join in prayer with him today. And we just prayed, and through their tears, I was so moved myself. I want to give that as an introduction to our reading today, because there's nothing pretty about this Good Friday scene, unless we try to over-theologize or rationalize or spiritualize how this is, but I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I'd rather have us approach this gospel coming from our own struggle, even our own crisis of faith, with the same kind of questions that defy explanation, and to come to that place that we know to be the foot of the cross, your cross, your family's suffering, your difficulty in your life. Let's come there and let's find out what we need to hear and learn and do as we look to Jesus. He's the one who I think can help us in a time like this. As I prayed with the mother and father and the brothers and sisters who were there in that family, it was a profound moment of prayer. And all I can say is there was a sense of God's presence in the strength of his spirit. At least that's what they said after we finished the prayer. And maybe that's all we can hope for and pray for. I don't know. But all we can really hold on to, I think. But this gospel is so powerful because it just touches us right where we're hurting the most, I think. Right where the pain and the problem is in our life. We're invited to join Jesus at the foot of the cross, so he can help us. If there's anyone who can help us, it's Jesus. And let's see how he helps us, how he helped the two men on either side of him. This is a little ironic, you understand, that we would have this gospel on the Feast of Christ the King. I mean, you have to think, what? It doesn't go, go figure. But that's part of the real paradox here, that the Christ, is he a king? crowned with thorns, sitting on a throne called the cross, the worst form of torture and ultimate death penalty, the absolute horrific method of execution that the Roman soldiers in her twisted way of thinking could concoct to draw forth the slowest process of death and the most bitter suffering where they'd strip him naked and have him hang in humiliation as a hardened criminal. This is the end of it. You know, one reason none of the disciples were there because they couldn't bear it. And the reason they didn't 
make the sign of the cross themselves for some time is because it was such a scandal. It gave them such trouble. They couldn't reconcile. How could the Savior of the world have to undergo such a horrible death? So it's, is it any wonder we struggle ourselves with the kinds of questions my parishioners raised with me this morning? We need to allow our honest, raw feelings to come out. That's what I would say. I, I, I saw a tendency in a mother when she was starting to raise the hard questions to God, like, why would you? Oh, well, I should just probably not say that. I said, no, you should. You know, we sometimes think, oh, oh, we shouldn't feel that way toward God. No, tell God how you feel. He knows it anyway. And we just have to bring it to him. So with that is an odd way of coming at the gospel, coming right directly at Christ on the cross. Come now with your crosses in mind. Come with your struggles, with your pain, with the unfinished business of your life that's been a hardship in your own family and history. Come there and meet Christ at this crossroad of this feast day. The gospel opens up by saying the people stood there watching. I mean, that's in fact what they did back then. They just they saw this death penalty, this execution taking place. Interesting way we're told that the leaders were mocking and jeering at Jesus, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. And then the soldiers began to mock him and make fun of him. And they said, If you are the king of the Jews, then save yourself. It's so interesting that these voices that were heard echo another voice heard much earlier in the gospel. You would recognize the devil, temptation of Christ in the desert. Remember three times he tried to get Jesus to show his power and save himself from whatever difficulty or whatever. And three times Jesus refused to use power to be self-serving. He refused to use an authority over people to manipulate them or use God's power in a way that wouldn't give God's life. It's really something to think about when we hold Christ up as king. What we have here is a model of a different kind of power. And there's another kind of power, you know, that's not of this world. It's a power to influence people for the good. That's the kind of power we're going to see Jesus so effectively teach and touch people with from the cross that has become, in my mind, the most powerful pulpit in all the world for all of history. For if you want to know what Jesus has to say today, just look at the cross. It says it all. Thomas Aquinas, one of the greatest minds of the Middle Ages, who wrote the Summa Theologica, the vast volumes of comprehensive theology, said that most of what he learned was on his knees praying before crucifix. Isn't that something? So that's what we're invited to look and see. The first thing that Luke has us look at, besides the voices that surround him, obviously these are voices that are familiar to us, voices of discouragement. If you ever wanted to hear the demonic voice, it's the voice of discouragement. I think that is so evil. And it plays in my mind, I imagine it plays in yours, it certainly plays loudly in our world, to discourage us. And above the head of the cross, you would remember this inscription that was written 
This is the King of the Jews. We see it abbreviated I-N-R-I. I because they didn't have the letter J, so I refers to Jesus of Nazareth, King Rex of the Jews, I-N-R-I. You would, of course, recognize this as the question that Pilate asked of Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And that this is what Jesus' enemies had brought forth. The Jewish people couldn't put people to death. Only the Romans could. They wouldn't do it for religious reasons. What did the Romans care about? Heretics, I didn't mind. But if they were brought forward as people who called into question the authority of the king, the emperor, well, then they could be crucified for insurrection, which is the verdict of Christ. And Pilate puts that death sentence on the cross to be, in a point of irony, the testimony that Jesus gives, here's the king. Now, who of us would want to be part of that kingdom? If that's what they did to the king? I mean, this is really something to think about. One of the criminals hanging in crucifixion with Jesus blasphemed him, saying, Aren't you the Messiah? He's half believing it himself. He said, Well, then save yourself and us. The other criminal, we know, rebuked him and said, Have you no fear of God, seeing you are under the same sentence? We deserve it after all. We're only paying the price for what we have done. But this man has done nothing wrong. He then turned to Jesus and said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I love what these two criminals present to us because, as you may have heard me say before, I believe they represent all of us. The two criminals would represent the one who was on Jesus' right side and the other was on his wrong side. The criminal on the wrong side had the whole wrong approach, the whole wrong way of looking at it, the whole wrong attitude that only left him where? Nowhere. And what is that attitude? You recognize this. He did not take any responsibility for where he ended up. He was blaming and blaspheming Jesus for what happened to him in life. Does this sound familiar? You know, some people do that. They are so good as critics, but critics never do anything. I mean, they don't do anything. What good ever came from someone who just criticizes? It doesn't do them any good. This guy is, is not critical, he's cynical. And he's rebuking Jesus. And this we could understand. He's asking to be taken down from the cross and telling the Lord what to do. Again, I think I fall into this thinking when, you know, I, I give God a piece of my mind about things that are going on. And something that's not so bad about that, you know, I, as I said before, I think we really do need to be honest with the Lord and share everything we're honestly feeling. However, a lot is to be learned by the man who was on the right side of Jesus. That is to say, he had the whole right way of looking at it, the right sense of responsibility ability to respond, the right disposition of mind and heart. What does he do? First, he takes responsibility for what's happened to him. He says, hey, don't you realize we've done this? We deserve this? I love this because I've learned this in pastoral counseling with people. 
you know, they go on and on and on and on about maybe their parents did this or some teacher did that or somebody said such and such. And so finally, you have to come to the point after they work through some of their raw feelings and anger is to say, okay, now you are responsible for your life. All right. You're an adult now, so you can tell yourself whatever you want to believe. Okay. So for now on, you're the responsible one. And a lot of them just can't go there. You know, it's really something. What happens, as I said, is what happened to the guy on the wrong side of Jesus. It all his cursing and blaming and blaspheming got him nowhere, nowhere. But look on the right side. What can happen if we face our suffering by looking first to Christ? You see, I mean, there is such a powerful witness here for us. This man turned to Jesus. He did not ask to be taken down from the cross, but to be lifted up. He didn't ask to be taken away. He just said, Lord, take me your way. And he turned it all into a prayer. Jesus, remember me. Remember me. When you come into your kingdom. Several things about that prayer that's so powerful. First, the name Jesus, you know, is a name that means God saves. When you're really hurting, just say the name Jesus. What a beautiful mantra. In fact, I have found it helpful when I'm beginning to pray. Just say, Jesus, Jesus. As my attention turns away from all the things on my mind to Christ. And that's the problem, you know, when we're really suffering, it's really hard to pray. Have you noticed? We're really angry. It's really hard to turn attention to the Lord. Somehow this man, you know, he was going through the exact same suffering as the other guy. He was in just as much pain. And talk about pain. It was excruciating. It was killing him, literally. Jesus. The other part of the prayer, remember me. Think of what the word remember. Make me part of. Make me one with. He united his suffering with Christ. You see, at that point, his suffering was what I would call sacrifice. You know the difference between sacrifice and suffering? Sacrifice means to make holy. What does that mean? That God can use this suffering if we unite it with him. He did not ask, as I said, to be taken down from the cross. Instead, he offered it up to the Lord. And we offer these things up. The Lord then redeems it. And this is the point. With our suffering, everything we suffer through in life can be redemptive. You understand what I mean by that word? Good can come from it, however awful it is. You tell me the worst thing that happened to you in life, and I can tell you what is the best thing that can happen to you through it all. And that's exactly what we see on Calvary, the worst moment of human history where we killed God. And God used it to be the most redemptive moment for all humankind. There it is. And this man on the right side who who somehow who got it, understood it, and prayed it, it became for him what? His way to heaven. But he asked for it. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. We hear a repetition of the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come. It's one I was praying with a mother and a father. And the father finally said, even though he asked me the question, look, I've come to church every day to pray for my son's healing. And I said, I know. And then he said, well, 
I guess God's will be done. Wow. I mean, talk about depth of faith. I mean, I could just see him offering his son up to the Lord. And I could see in that moment, I knew God would give him strength. It really is something. That's why I don't want to spiritualize any of this. I want to get right into the the guts of our agony and our struggle to make sense of our own suffering and just present this this man on the right side of Jesus as the right way for us all to go. The most amazing thing, I think, in, maybe in all the gospel, is that Jesus turned to him and said, I assure you, or in other words, I promise you, this day you will be with me in paradise. Wow. <laughs> this day, not tomorrow, not in a little while, not when you suffer through your purgatory. This day you will be with me. Remember me? Will you be one with me? You will be with me in paradise. Wow. You know, this could have been the first prayer this guy ever prayed in his life. I mean, let's face it. The great thing is that I believe, had it not been for this man's sin and his cross, he may never have known Jesus and come to his salvation. I don't know if that makes sense, but I've seen it too often and heard it from too many wonderful, beautiful people that it's only because of their suffering that they were brought to their knees and then lifted up to the Lord. It's only because of this hardship that they learned so much and changed their life and really came to see the real purpose in life. And yet, I have to tell you, and you know this, there's as many people who suffer because they've lost a child or lost someone or have suffered from some disease or difficulty. They've gone further away from the Lord. I know some people no longer go to church because they're so angry at God. So I know it's just as easy for us to take the wrong side, the wrong approach, as it is to take the right side and the right approach. And I know how hard it is to stay on that right side. I've often wondered, why does the Lord allow so much suffering in the aging process? Why, why is life so hard? But I just learn a lot from those who age gracefully. And I remember the coming to this one, it was the Little Sisters of the Poor, when I went to visit my aunt, and she was on either side of her were uh, two residents. And the, the one man, I went into his room, and the curtains were closed. He was sitting in his chair, and he was so down and upset. Uh, I went in. He immediately asked me to leave. And I said, would you like me to offer a prayer? He says, no, leave. I said, I'm out of here. I didn't want to be there, but I felt so sorry for him. I went into the room next to my great aunt, and it was a blind woman who, mind you, lived in darkness, but her room was full of light. And when I came to visit her, the first thing she did was tell me a joke. And it was a silly, stupid joke, but the fact that she was joking with me was something that really gave me a belly laugh, you know, just from the deepest part of me, enjoy this humor of light, this light side. And then I asked to pray with her, and she prayed. And I, I thought, my goodness, and this woman was never able to get out of bed, besides being blind. Never able to get out of bed. And as I looked to step back from those two rooms, I thought, my goodness, talk about night and day difference, darkness and light. And what what is the difference? 
I think it's attitude. How, how do we take the right attitude toward our suffering and pain? In defense of that poor man, we learn a lot about depression. You know, there's a chemical reason sometimes that plays out in. So I don't want to judge him harshly, but I do suspect what made this woman so much full of life and love was the fact she truly had the greatest attitude. Like the man on the right side of Jesus, I don't doubt that she's already on her way to paradise. Amen. Thank you for listening to Father Jim's Gospel Teaching. We hope you have been inspired and will subscribe to this weekly podcast and share it with your family and friends. The mission of Heart to Heart is to proclaim the good news of God's Son, Jesus, to the entire world. For more inspirational teachings by Father Jim and Father Michael, visit our website, www.htoh.us. May God bless your heart and the hearts of all your loved ones.